0: Welcome everybody back to Deposit That Podcast. This is going to be the first episode leaked in 2020. Uh, we are recording it live today as well. So welcome everybody, Matt Defiedi, to the show. Matt, thank you for coming in today. I know it was a struggle getting here from Nutley, New Jersey, all the way to New York City. Thanks for having me. How was your
1: experience like riding the train the way here? Did you like it? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? <laughs> I just you know I, I used to do it every day. I, I don't particularly enjoy it anymore. It just. uh it hasn't changed in, in, in 20 years since I started coming into the city. You know, I started coming to the city almost 30 years ago. Wow. It still hasn't looked like they cleaned the pad station since. Interesting. <laughs> you know, it just, it's it's a different hustle and bustle when you're away from it. I've been away from, you know, I used to commute to the city every day. I haven't commuted to the city in, in five years. And it's something that you never, ever— uh, Get comfortable with.
0: So now you own your own real estate brokerage company in New, yeah. New Jersey
1: now. But what was your background then prior to getting into the real estate business? Background. Well, I started. Well, let's, let's talk about the city. I started coming into the city when I was about like 16 years old. I started working for a. Uh, there was a, a company in Harrison called RLP Color. First, I was a, a horrible student. Number one, I don't believe. It. Yeah, it was horrible. I was, it was F F and Ds. But what wound up happening is I got a I got a job as an apprentice working first in design publications or actually, fashion magazines, Women's Wear Daily, National Lampoon, and channels publications. I was what they called an apprentice. I started coming into the city at sixteen, and and back in the late eighties, like New York was totally different than it is now. Sure, like Forty Second Street Rough. was. You ever see the movie Taxi Driver? Mm-hmm. That was Forty Second Street. He knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> That's what Forty Second Street looked like. And I was telling you on the train, like my first experience walking into New York City, I'm walking down 42nd Street, and I got punched square in the square in the chest by this gentleman who I assume at the time was a pimp, because that's exactly what he was dressed like, Wow, you know? And so it was like, welcome to New York, punch in the chest. So I figured anything after that point was uphill. That's kind of like how New York is, though, kind of in your face, punch in the chest, like it's kind of <laughs> yeah. rocky and let you know you're here. Yeah, like it, literally, I got punched in the chest. I remember I was working for a gentleman named... Uh, Bill Van Jura, he was my manager. And he gave me a pocket full of quarters because back then we didn't have cell phones, so we had used those sure. disgusting old pay phones. He gave me a map of the city. And he goes, here you go. That's how I learned how to how to get around the city. Hmm. So fast forward a couple of years later, I started going to School of Visual Arts. I was a design major. And I started to learn more about the city. I was in the city every day. And it's like, this is the first time I was on a PATH train in five years. It was shocking to me because- I'm so accustomed to a slower pace right now because my town of Nutley, I, I designed my life where my house, where I live, is literally two minutes to my office, and my clientele is within that, you know, five to ten square mile radius. Sure. I told you yesterday, sure. I never leave Nutley. I know. You need to. You know, I don't need to. And so I had to adjust my head today mm-hmm. because I had to jump on Route 3. I had to go up. I had to sit in the traffic for the tunnel. Anxiety we stopped hour. Oh, yeah. I mean— Parking space. Was <laughs> parking alone. <laughs> parking. Al- parking. If I didn't have you to assist me in finding a spot, I would have still been driving around Hoboken. So going back to what I did was um, I started working for, you know, some creative companies and I started to get involved in the creative field. And real estate was like kind of the, the, the farthest thing from my life. In the early 90s, fast forward a little bit, during the dot-com boom days when everybody and their mother had a dot-com. I remember there was a site called angryman.com. Hmm. It was Angry Man, Your Mother.com, Pizzaguy.com. Everybody had a .com. I started working for a company called About.com. Before that, they were the mining co. We had an office in Times Square in the heart of everything. And when you're doing that every day, you get into this rhythm. And like today, what I experienced coming in here, that was my every day. Did you like that at the time? I did. But I was also I was also okay. your age. Yeah. I was also in my early 30s. And I would get up at 9 o'clock to be at work by 10 o'clock. You know, it was always that. Now today, I, now I get up at four thirty, five o'clock, right. and I don't have to be in my office till 11 o'clock. <laughs> it's kind of weird how work kind sure. of takes off. So um, I worked in the dot-com field. This is when they were just giving you a job. You know, recruiters would call you starting at $80,000 a year if you could design a website. And we were selling websites for a million dollars a pop to like Volvo and Ford and all these different companies. So I get involved with that. I remember coming into the city one day because I was living in Nutley and I would drive up to the the waterway because I preferred that to Mm -hmm. the station. Much more pleasant. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. A lot more pleasant. It yeah. was a lot more cheaper. It was a lot cheaper back then also. Sure. That's when the waterway was just one wooden pier that would shake in the wind. Yeah. Now it's like this big Bohemian thing. Going to the city, you know, we had a great time. We, we could get to work anytime we wanted. We were selling websites like crazy. And then I started looking at business, and I remember I was sitting there, and the CEO at the time was this gentleman by the name of Scott Kernett. He's still around. He's a VC. He started a bunch of other successful dot-coms and companies. He would say, you know, hey, yeah, we only lost like 90 million this quarter. And we we're like, "Yay!" <laughs> Cuz the previous quarter we lost 120 right. million. So I'm sitting there watching this business evolve. We were up to 750 people in Times Square. And every Wednesday we were renting out another club and all the employees would go and we would party, have a great time. This is where real estate starts to come in. My friend says to me, a lifelong friend I had, he he was an investor. And he owned a bunch of apartment buildings in North Norfolk. And he said, uh, you know, you're making a lot of money. You, you got you to gotta get involved in real estate. And I said, fuck that. I don't want nothing to do with realtors. They're, they're used car salesmen. They're full of shit. I don't, I, you know, I'm making a lot of money. I'm going to buy cars. I'm dating girls. And I'm going to have dinner. I don't want nothing to do with it. He's like, you're making good money. Now, at the time, I think my salary was like 75, dollars $80,000 a year. This is 93. Yeah, well time. And I had Panasonic as my own client. They were bringing me in more money than my salary. Hmm. I'm a single guy living in an apartment in Rutherford now, the size of this room. Hey. My rent was $500 a month. Yeah, so you
0: time. My car
1: payment was $180 a month. Yeah, of Disposable income. A disposable income isn't the word. And I remember going out with my friends on a Thursday, Friday night. They had no money. I would pay $500, $600. It was no problem. Yeah. My friend convinced me, you've got to buy a building. So I'm like, I don't want to be a landlord, you know? My parents never owned a home. My grandparents never owned a home. My grandparents lived and rented the same home for 75 years. Could you imagine that? You're renting a home for 75 years. Unreal. But they took care of it like it was their own. Yeah,
0: it was theirs, basically. Right. I think their grandfathered in at that point. Basically, 75, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, years.
1: 75 years. They, it went from the landlord to the son, Yeah. Right. I was taught zero about money. I was taught zero about business. Uh, Basically, you know, my my father was a truck driver. My mother was a waitress. I was the first one in in, in my family to go to college, and I I went to an art school, which everybody says, hey, art school, you're better off being a waitress, you know what I mean? Especially from Newark. Yeah, right, exactly. So kind of had a lot of things kind of stacked up against me. My education was the street. I grew up in Newark. It was basically you had to hit harder in order to get your point across. So I was always taught that you had to, you know, be physical and you had to be intimidating, and those were all the people around me and that's how I was taught up until I was like 18 years old. Not until I got into art school when I started meeting some people I call mentors. I was never into drugs, and I was never into smoking pot or drinking or anything. I don't think I had my first drink until I was like 24. Cuz my father, the, the the one thing he did do, he may have not been a good role model, Per se in business or anything like that, but he said, "Here's how it's going to go down. If I catch you drinking or a smoking pot, I'm just going to kill you." That would, he put the fear of God in. My dad said that to me about pot. Yeah, that part, that's, yeah. that like, like, that you get caught with drugs. You, you get caught, I'm just going to kill dead. you. Yeah, you're dead. I'm just going to kill you. Yeah. That's all there was to it. Yeah. So I never got involved in it. I get in college, get in art school. I start meeting mentors, and this is a little before I get involved in dot coms. So I got into my work progressively. When I got into my work, everything got better. And I started opening up my mind. Do you feel like you got lost in work? Yeah. Yeah. I, I got into this thing, what they call flow state, which you, if you ever understand yeah. that, you understand it yeah. from sports and everything else. Yeah. You get into this flow and, and days and, and go by and, and minutes go by and years go by. Fast forward again, back to the real estate. My first piece of property I buy in North Newark. My friend says to me, I'm going to sell you this building for $113,000. This is in 1996. Three family home in North Nork. Interest rate on my mortgage was 17%. Could you imagine even being anywhere near 17% today? Or 7% even. Even, right. So 17%. I buy the building for 113000 My friend says to me, I'm going to stay on with you for about a year and teach you this business. I didn't realize the education he was giving me. And you didn't value or appreciate it. I'm sure you didn't know. No, I didn't understand it. So we pull up and now I'm happy because I own a piece of property. My parents never did, and I own a piece of property. I'm like, wow, I'm, I'm a proud homeowner. I got to go there. I got to clean the building up. I got to get it working. I got to meet the tenants. I got to make nice and nice. I walk in, and people are moving out of the building. And I turn and look at my friend. He, in turn, just falls on the ground laughing at me because he saw my face. He goes, what are you worried about? I go, the, the one lady walked down. The money's said, coming out. <laughs> she's like, we're leaving. <laughs> And she had a TV in her hand and her kid had some garbage bags and they're leaving. I'm like, where the fuck they going? They got to pay the rent. (laughs) He's like, you ain't getting the rent from them, bro. And I said, oh my God. Then I go upstairs, I knock on the door, go, hi, my name is Matt. She goes, hi, my name is Jackie. She says to me- My first tenant's name is Jacqueline. How funny is that? She says to me, to my face, I have your rent money, but I ain't giving it to you. I was like, what am I going to do? I run back downstairs. I said, hey, Cher, she says she has the rent money. She's not going to give it to me. He goes, and what are you worried about I go. She says she don't got the rent money. I got to put out, you know, the $1,200 for the mortgage, you know? And he goes, come with me. I go, where are we going? I could tell the story now. He says, we're going to go to the hardware store down the street. I'm going, go, what are we doing? He goes, they make these, thing, these things called knife valves. He goes, pick up two of them. So I go on into the store. I go, listen, I need two knife valves. The guy gives me, I didn't even know what a knife valve was. I still don't know. Well, the, valve with the handle on it. You could turn on and off, right? So we go in the basement. Now, granted, he never kept this building up. There had to be roaches the size of my cell phone down there, right? And he said, yeah, don't worry about it. Come in the back. And there was a room in the back where the boiler was, and we called it hell because it literally looked like hell. I would have paid people to go in there rather than me go in there. We go in there, and he looks up, and he goes, see those two pipes right there? And I go, yeah. He goes, that's how you're going to get your rent money. I go, what do you mean? He goes, they're called water lines. And I said, and what are you doing? He goes, watch. He cuts the lines. He puts these two knife valves. He turns them off. I go, isn't that illegal? He goes, trust me. I go, what do you get me? He goes, when she calls you, tell her to call me. Now, this is Friday. I leave. Half hour later, I get a phone call. Mr. Defeati, this is Jackie. So now I'm Mr. Defeati. You know when tenants your, your title automatically change. Now, now she needs something. Yeah. When yeah. tenants call you, when they call you by your last name, yeah, yeah. They there's need something, something up. Yeah. They need something. She goes, "We don't have any water." I go, "Well, hold on. I go here, Jerry, here's the phone. Jerry picks the phone up and says, "What's the matter? Oh, we don't have any water." He says, uh, "Ah, that's a shame." He goes, "Well, if Matt had the rent money, he could have paid the water bill, but since he doesn't, we'll see you Monday." and he hung the phone up on her. never had a problem with her paying the rent again after that. But it was one of those things that- Eye-opening. You know, it was eye-opening. when I said, wow, this is how, you know, this this is a rough business, man. So what happened after that was I bought another building, another building, another building. I bought a bunch of buildings. I wound up at one time having 17 units without even realizing it. And then I'm thinking back and I go, wow, you know, my parents never even owned one home. So there's something to this. As my real estate business was, was, was happening, I was still in the creative field. I stayed in the creative field full time until I opened up my brokerage. So I went to work for some, you know, I was working for, uh, I worked for Merck. I worked for Kraft. I worked for CBS. I worked for, um, JP Morgan. I worked for Guggenheim hedge funds. I worked for a bunch of major, major corporations. And in turn, I was learning this whole thing about media and marketing. Then social media came into the play and everything else. I was working for Coldwell Banker and uh I was with I was with Keller Williams back in the early days, like two thousand and four around there. Wow, that long ago. Yeah. Before they were known as yeah, what yeah, they are yeah, today. Yeah. I met a gentleman and I'm gonna I'm gonna say his name. His name is Mark Werner, and he's up in West Milford, and he's ten years younger than me and he taught me this business. Like Mark was a prodigy. Ten in, years younger than you. Yeah. Wow, God bless him. Mark was a prodigy in the real estate business. You know, he opened up his first Keller Williams when he was nineteen.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah. And I, I went to work well, let me back up a little bit. 9-11 happened. I wanted to get out of Nutley. I moved up to West Milford for about 13 years. I met Mark. Mark built my house. Me and Mark argued with each other, sued each other. And then we became friends. That's usually how it goes. I remember when I got my real estate license, like Mark came to me and goes, hey, I heard you got your license. I go, yeah. He says, I want you to come work for me. I need my legal fees back. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what he said. He goes, I know you're going to make me even more money. And that's what happened. And then I went to Caldwell Banker. The same gentleman who got me involved in in investing in real estate convinced me to go to Caldwell Banker because he was now managing a Caldwell Banker in Nutley. And that's where I went. And then I went to another Caldwell Banker. I wound up going up to Wyckoff. I was up there for, I was a Caldwell Banker for about a good 10 years total. And then I decided one day, uh, me and my ex wife, we were going to open up a small office in Nutley because we're both from the area. Uh, she grew up there as well. And my family was from there too. We were just gonna be a mom and pop. I opened up an office the size of this room here, and it was just gonna be us doing two to three deals a month, raising our kids, and life was gonna be fine. Lo and behold, you know, really, executive got involved with me, it turned out to be something different, wind up growing the office. It's only been five years, and it feels like 500, and we built a rather strong brand. And my take on it was a little different. I took all my experience from being in the creative field for 29, 30 years, and I use that to build my business. And I always tell people, you know, we're a marketing company that just happens to sell real estate. That's the way I look at it. It's not the traditional sense. I build a lot of content. I teach my agents how to build a lot of content. We're all, I only have a dozen agents. And I'm not looking to build out an office where I have 50, 60, 70 agents. I don't want that. You don't need them. No, I'd rather have a smaller group of people doing good quality work. And building out good content. That are loyal and listen and work their ass off. Right. Exactly. In this industry, I always, you know, I always say, and and statistically, the failure rate, 87 out of 100 agents will fail in this business. I think it's probably higher
0: than that. Overall, I think think it's 87% in your, at least in New York City, I think it was something like 94% quit in their first year in New York City 98% 98% of them don't close a deal in their first year in New York City. So obviously not these obviously a different area, it took, but it took,
1: it took it's something me, high like that. It took me a year to do my first yeah. deal. Which you should, because you have no experience coming in. Right. You know? And I always say, I, th- I think they really need to, to raise the bar. But you
0: probably wanted, what, 100% split? Your broker couldn't make any money? You know, that's today's day. No, <laughs> when, I got hired, when I got
1: hired, it was 50-50. And yeah. by by the time Caldwell Banker got done with me, it was like 60-40, 60 to them. Yep. But let's talk about the power of social media
0: real quick. So I know sure. that, look, so my outlook, I was quiet on social media. And by quiet, I mean, like, I was told by the higher-ups, the dinosaurs, don't post anything personal on LinkedIn. Don't post any business on Facebook. And then when I merged my two lives back in 2014, I started slowly integrating, randomly posting on Facebook, right? LinkedIn was always LinkedIn, so that was always there. Now, in today's world, right, when you become active on social media – You get to know somebody, you get to attract somebody, usually of like mindset or controversially on the opposite side, someone that disagrees with you wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. We met through Facebook. We met, became friendly on Facebook, messaged each other for probably about a year, year and a half, even more so than we even, before we even met. So talk to us about your experience marketing not only your company on social media, but you using Facebook as a platform to educate people and show people how you're doing business.
1: When I first started doing video on Facebook, God, it had to be like 05, 06. How long ago? Yeah, a long time ago. We were doing it. Even had a little quick cam I would mm-hmm. take around me. You know, a lot of the brokers laughed at me. Mm-hmm. They made fun of me. They would joke. Uh, and then when I got on Facebook, I remember when I start, started first posting my listings on Facebook and talking about real estate. I got jumped on, oh, you can't do that. That's against the code of ethics and blah, 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 the whole deal. Same thing they're trying to do now with exclusive listings, Uh that new law. And we'll talk about that, our new rule. A lot of people, they always scoff at new media. Facebook is the biggest media network out there right now. And they produce zero content. Wrap your head around that. Okay. Zero. Zero content. They don't produce any content no. at all. No, it's a platform. It's a platform. But people laughed at Facebook, people laughed at Instagram, people laughed at YouTube. I think YouTube's the next big thing. It's been. It's growing. It's growing. I don't know why G Plus and Google Plus didn't make it. I think because- I don't think they wanted to. Google's a marketing company. Google's a marketing company, yeah. yeah. But they had the backbone of Google. Yeah. You know, today, if you look at this phone that's sitting right here, this phone has more power than any of all the computers combined- during the Apollo moonshot landing. Think about that. Crazy. I think we take a lot of this technology for granted. Mm-hmm. Now, right now, if I look at all my social media accounts combined, I have about fifty-five to 60,000 followers, right? At any moment, I could say something and get it out there. And I had this conversation this morning with someone. It doesn't matter if one person sees my post or a billion people see my post but do something wrong and watch how many people notice. Oh,
0: completely. Right?
1: Completely. I center myself to a certain point. I've been known to have some very strong viewpoints. I'm going to answer that for
0: you, right? I'm going to let you answer that because I think I have a you know, pretty good idea of who you are internally. Mm-hmm. I think it's fueled from... Experience. I think it's fueled from being hurt, and I think it's fueled from passion. You know, you're like, wait, this doesn't make sense. Hello, look at me, red flag. I'm trying to show you something, kind of like I did. I feel like that's why we connected, because the first thing that ever came out that was, listen, behind the scenes, I was an animal. I'm still an animal, and I'll still rip somebody's head off over email, text, or in person Mm -hmm. if— You're going to combat me on something that I'm 100% confident in, Mm -hmm. right? Like, this is wrong. I'm showing you it's wrong, and I'm giving you the solution, and you're telling me it's not wrong. I'm like, it's freaking wrong, Mm -hmm. was the whole Zillow thing. That's where we connected. In 2017, in March of 2017, I came out and said... Fuck Zillow, got shirts that said Fuck Zillow. Everyone's like, that That was a great campaign. You're you're not professional. We're not going to give you business anymore. A realtor's like, I'm not sending you clients. I get all my business from Zillow. I'm like, you never sent me a client anyway in the first place. Like, oh, fucking shame on me, you know? Right. But like, I'm passionate about it because I'm like, I saw what they did. I told you, the day Zillow IPO'd, I took my life savings, $52,000, and put it into Zillow stock. I had no money in my bank account that day. $52,000 into Zillow, it went up whatever. $5 a share, I sold out of it, and that was it. But I was probably the first lending advertiser in New York with this girl, Christine Ra, Okay, in I think 2011 or 12, whatever year it was that Mm -hmm, it came out, mm -hmm. and we had the Washington Heights Harlem zip code. And it was like, $200 $200 a month it was really the first one right. so I'm like look I was first to the party I was endorsing it I believe in it then their market strategy and tactics shifted to now we're gonna basically shake everyone down for money you're not getting any value from it I don't buy it anymore and I'm being told I'm the bad guy because I'm exposing this
1: this thing that's trying to put people out of business well that conversation has changed now huge now everyone's now like you were the, you're needs the first help. person to now, and <laughs> I remember that you. Yeah. I remember that and I said that we don't I don't I don't allow any of my agents, none of my agents, number one, pay Zillow for leads. Uh, That's the reason why I preach so hard about building your own content. Build your own lead database. Build your own lead gen. Just take some time to do it. Zillow, let's face it. The one thing Zillow did better than the National Association of Realtors was build a better consumer front-facing A national feed. Right. A national feed, literally. A national MLS. But, and even Realtor.com, like, we don't own the fucking thing. At all. Realtor.com is owned by move. And I get calls from Realtor.com, Homes.com, Zillow.com. Advertise I don't want your advertising. You know, I don't want your advertising. Well, you know, we can get you more leads. I don't want leads. I want relationships. Okay? That's the difference. And I tell people, I don't call for sale by owners. I don't go after expireds. I build content. And I build what they call pull marketing. HubSpot's been doing it for years. HubSpot tried signing me on 15 years ago. Right? Because I got the idea of building content. This is content. Content, content. Everything's content. Build content. Show what you know. Could be good, could be bad. Every podcast, every video doesn't have to be a a, a fucking Hollywood production. It was funny.
0: I'm going to give the example of if we had time, maybe what we'll do is we'll let a recording go of this voicemail the guy left you, so I want you to walk, <laughs> I want you to walk me through what happened with the voicemail that you sh- you played for me earlier, and i 'll put my two cents in I'll give me a brief synopsis
1: of what happened so basically the gentleman called me, had four properties he wanted to sell. I called him back, followed up, like I always return my calls, especially if your clients I always return I always return all the time i I'm, I'm always available for my clients. I said to him, he called me, and I got him on the phone. He said, yeah, I already have it listed with another realtor. Just bring a buyer. And and I said, you know, that's really not how I work. If you have, he had multiple properties, not just one property. I said, come into my office, sit down. Let's come up with a game plan, marketing strategy. Which it, is the right thing. 100%. Right. 100%. If, if you want to release your current broker, I could show you how we could get the property sold for you. His comment to me was, um, I don't have the time for that. <laughs> so tell me over the phone. So I'm not going to. I don't believe in doing- well, it's th-
0: devaluing you. It's shitting on you. It's right. telling you, right. I'm not going to follow your proven system that you've shown and right. documented works. Right. I'm going to do things my own right. way. And so that's why your houses aren't selling.
1: What's the point? Right. Now you want to waste my time and jerk me off for nothing. Right. So I said, listen- The penny pinched me. Yeah. Right. And that was the other comment. Let me Tell me what your commission is. I have two rules. When I speak to a home seller and the first word out of their mouth is, what's the lowest commission you can give right. me? right. That's when I, I pack up and leave. When I'm hiring an agent. You actually probably want to kick them in the teeth, I'm assuming. I just leave. It's not even <laughs> worth it. Not worth the lawsuit. So the other thing is when I hire agents, if the first word out of their mouth is, how much is my commission split? Yeah, what's my split? I tell them nothing because there's a door. Yeah, here's a door. Okay? Yep. I agree with that. Completely. The, the reason why I have a small office and I like it that way is because everybody that's in my office has signed on to be with me. They're not they don't care about commission splits they care about business culture of the environment they care about the environment they want to learn this business they want to learn what I have they want to learn how to do what I do and I'm an open book i'll show you I will show you what to do but ninety nine percent of the time they will not do it. I go online all the time I have my facebook live video I go on and I tell people this is what I do. They listen to it and then they're off to their next seminar
0: It's funny in twenty eleven uh in May of 2011, I made $100,000. I've told people multiple times, I made $100,000 at age 24 to myself in one month, right? That's great. Crushed it, killed it. And uh, next month, it was June of 2011, I was sitting down with this guy who was thinking about moving companies, this and that. He did like $5 million a year in business. Like, oh, great, I just fucking closed $6 million last month. And you wanna sit down and you do five? <laughs> well, okay, fine, that, that's what you gotta do. Comes in, he's like, yeah, I wanna make two points in every deal. I'm like, well, I don't make two points in every deal. And I just fucking did what you did in a year, in a month. Right? Like, what are we talking about here? Do you want me to teach you how to do $20 million a year in business so you can yeah. make two, 300000 to yourself? Yeah. Or do you wanna sit there and make, you know, 100000 a year for the rest of your life? Yeah. And he couldn't grasp the concept. I'm like, I, again, I you, I probably at the time said, just get the fuck out of here. Like, I have yeah. you know, 50 people I got to yeah. call back. Yeah. But that's people. Yeah. They would rather make more for doing less,
1: and oh, then yeah. eventually they go out of business. Well, let's go back. And to have no the, mentorship or leadership well, or anything else. That goes back, circle back to the conversation about the guy who called me, who who I, you know, I, I probably hung up on. Um, <laughs> Disconnected. Going back, because he didn't see the value. He called me. He didn't see the value in what I do. So why would I? why would I go into a losing proposition? But
0: again, hmm. so I'm... This isn't defending you or defending the industry. That's not his fault because your industry is weak and sucks, and it has more
1: dead fish in the sea that are saying they're swimming when they're sitting at the bottom of uh, of the ocean. A majority of agents are looking for the magic button, the magic pill, and I'm going to tell you in two seconds what it is. They're looking for the the, the magic course. You You know what it's called? It's called work. It's just called work. I don't care how you do it. I don't care what you do it with. I don't care if you do it with smoke signals. I don't care if you're consistent and you do the work. If you do the work, the work will take care of you. That's how it is. I work, I'm. I put in at least, if I had to add my hours up, minimum 60 to 70 hours a week, seven days a week. Even when I'm off, I'm still working. You Always know why? mentally. Because number one, passion. I enjoy the work. This isn't work to me. That's why I'm up at 435 in the morning. You know, sometimes I'm up at five in the morning. I got one of my mortgage guys I work with, Alex Cardasso. He jumps on the phone and be five in the morning and we talk about stuff. We talk about things. We talk about the business. I got other people I talk to in the industry. Talk about business. How's it going? What are we thinking? Today's conversation, I had conversation with two people before I even left my house about this whole thing that Nar's doing with exclusive listings. Yeah, let's touch on that. National Association of Realtors in their infinite wisdom decided that um they're going to limit what they call pocket listings and exclusives. So basically, a pocket listing is this: Jeff, you have a house, you're thinking about selling. Hey, Matt, you're a realtor. If you come across a buyer looking for a house like this, let me know. And I go out there and I, I throw it out there. I put it on my Facebook. Hey, anybody looking for the blah blah blah? And I call Jeff. We do a deal. Well, now NRA has decided if you you can no longer do that. You have to put it on the MLS. If you're taking an office exclusive where you're only gonna you're not gonna co broke it, and you're going to make it an office exclusive, you can do that, but you're not allowed to post it publicly. How the fuck is that going to happen? How can you tell me I'm going to take an exclusive listing and I'm going to take it? I'm going to print out the piece of paper, put it on my office table, and that's it. It's going to sell. I can't post it on my personal Facebook page. I can't post it on Instagram. I can't post it on LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, YouTube, Tumblr, LinkedIn. And then the other question is, who the hell is going to police all that shit? This is the NRA pandering to the weakest link in real estate. The people that complain and don't want to do the work. And can't get listings because it's tight inventory. Well, Rather Association
0: of National Realtors, I mean, they're the worst to begin with. They're led by they're people dinosaurs. that are 75-plus years old. They're, I, I and even, they're like, oh, we still need a rate sheet, and we still need to have our listing printed yeah. out. With a click of a button, you can hit 17 different these are the, the, These
1: are the same people that last year spent hundred grand to redesign a logo. The pushback was so bad. 100000 to redesign yeah, a logo? They had to retract it and not launch the new logo. Because that they thought that was going to bring in business. Rather than take the money they're spending on all this bullshit. Make a national MLS. And come up with a national MLS and combat what Zillow is doing to our industry. Or even provide education to the industry or something right. that makes people more valuable right. and educated. The problem is, rather than attack what's attacking our industry, they go after the agents all the time. And I really don't think the National Association of Realtors cares if a realtor... Does one deal a year or a billion deals a year right. because they're going to get the same amount of dues for them every year. Yep. And it's it's getting it's a numbers game. It's a numbers game. So this 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 new ruling that they came out with about now this affects especially people in like um for instance, it affects everybody across the country. And let's talk about Manhattan real estate, which I'm not even a part of, or nor do, do I want to be. Now I know like companies like Douglas Element or all these they they have a certain lock on certain parts mm-hmm. of Manhattan. Mm-hmm. They don't put their listings on an MLS. No, they have
0: their own internal MLS inside their company. Right.
1: Now you're saying that, hey, you got to put it on. Om- There's not even an MLS from Manhattan, for what I understand. So there
0: is one. I got involved. I lost about 48000 in 2014. <laughs> I paid for a whole entire event, literally out of my own pocket, 48000 I think it was maybe more. For an MLS in New York? It was forty-five to 50000 and my my goal was to come in and bring the MLS into Manhattan because I was getting deals in Manhattan and agents weren't cooperating. It was just a total fucking nightmare shit show. They were trying to get my clients that I worked with for three years at the time to Citibank, Wells Fargo, Chase because they were the ones paying for their, you know, big luxurious open houses. And I kind of basically said, okay, I'm going to take my $48,000 loss and I'm going to go to Harlem and close some FHA deals. And that's what I did. I'm like, I'm not playing in Manhattan because I'm not dealing with these these momos at this point. He had everyone who thought who they were. They were 75 plus years old back then telling me what to do. I'm like, you guys are doing it wrong. You guys are sitting, showing up here like you guys still look like your picture from your headshot in the '80s. Like enough's enough now. So, I tried bringing in the Bronx, Manhattan MLS into Manhattan. Unfortunately, the people that ran the wait
1: there, there's an MLS for Bronx,
0: Bronx, Westchester. So Westchester and the Bronx oh, so have there one is MLS an actual MLS, right. and they just merged. I think with like Hudson Valley. But Manhattan like that. still does not have it. Brooklyn has an MLS, but most of it goes into the Manhattan Street Easy and Queens, Long Island. But Street MLS.
1: Easy is owned by Zillow.
0: Yes, now yeah. Um, which is, All right, uh, so it's not, there's, not e-
1: there's not even an MLS, so basically— There's every, no MLS in every listing that's is- utilized
0: because Rebney came in, mm-hmm. and they didn't want um, MLS in Manhattan. So, they wanted to maintain full control, and why I think so, so I'm going to give you—this is my pure opinion. I do not have okay. any facts or proof for this, so do not quote me on this being a fact. I believe that Rebney was formed in order to blockbust and keep people out of areas that they wanted in Manhattan. They didn't want certain ethnicities, races, sexes, whatever. It might this is my opinion. So that was like the good old boys' club and they didn't want outsiders in. That's why they kept control of the overall governance of Manhattan. Okay, so you have
1: no MLS in Manhattan. Okay. So how does that rule apply to all those big big brokerages in, the, in Manhattan. So let's go back to Jersey. Now I have New Jersey Well, oh, Halstead.
0: Halstead's in Jersey and New York City. Right. So how do you
1: comply in one state but not right, the other? Exactly. So Halstead's in Montclair in my yeah. area, they don't do a they lot bought in my Rhodes area. Van That's bought, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I remember that. Yeah. I asked you about yeah. that. So okay, so I have New Jersey on Guard State MLS. I you come into my office and you say hey Matt, I want to sell my house in Nutley, but I don't want to put it on the MLS. Okay. Give me your listing. I can take it. That's as far as I can go with marketing. I can't do shit. I can't do anything else. Can't put it in the grocery store or nothing? I can't even put it in a store. I can't do anything with it. I can't even post it on my social media page. So again,
0: so being rather visionary in this business and seeing how people operate before they even know what they think about operating on, it's as if they're trying to create free listing platform content, right? So the MLS has a free listing, or is going to have a free listing platform nationally where a seller uploads their own pictures, priced their own property, does all the bells and whistles, kind of like eBay where suggested price to sell the home. They put it all together in one Mm -hmm. platform. That drives buyers to this one national platform, and then the MLS or a realtor, whoever, will then sell the leads back to realtors to service them from a buyer standpoint, but it's going to eliminate the entire listing side and value in my opinion for people that sign up for that you think the mls is smart enough to put something together like that Uh, i think that's where they're heading i think
1: they're i don't think so so. i don't think so i I think what they're doing is trying to legislate people to comply so the weak link could get a little business a little business. that's what i think i think what they're they're doing here is kicking all the realtors in the teeth completely because and not helping them what's to stop another company to come along like an amazon and say hey you want to sell your property Put it up on Amazon for free. Boom. I think the MLS, they allowed Zillow.
0: You know who has, Not this is a train of thought, but you know who has the upper hand here? People who don't speak English. Here's why. So if you speak Spanish, mm-hmm. you speak Japanese, I'm missing Korean, whatever you speak, other than English, let's say English is not your primary language. You have the upper hand as a realtor, because now you're able to go into your community where most people who only speak the same language only trust people that speak the same right, language right. and do all your business off-market. Every one of you deals should be off-market. You market. can't. If you're not a real, I'm saying you, just, you, you have your real estate license, but you're not
1: a realtor. Right. Well, that's, that's the other thing. So I had reached out to one of the MLSs and spoke to them and said, well, what if I decide just not to be a realtor? So, and she said, well, you can't do that. I go, sure I can.
0: Yeah. Don't pay your fees. You it. That's, you know.
1: No, you just you opt out. Well, that's, just, in Manhattan. They're
0: agents. They're not realtors. Manhattan people are not part of the Realtor Association.
1: They're not, right. So somehow we got into this National Association of Realtors thing because code of ethics and blah, blah, blah. The whole thing initially was you couldn't get onto the MLS without being part of it.
0: Here's really what it boils down to. If you want to broker the sale of a home, fuck this wholesaling bullshit. I can't stand wholesalers. I think it's the, just the bottom of the barrel people. That's a whole different thing. Cut the idea. shit out. Yeah. They, first of all, what they should do is... Make wholesaling completely illegal. Illegal. I illegal. 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 It jams agree. up deals, jams well, up banks, it's, it's jams kinda, up pipelines. It's, it's a gray area. Sellers. It's a great area. It's illegal. It's illegal because you're collecting a fee on something. You don't have a license to collect. Exactly. Now, if, you, if someone takes care of you for a consulting fee after the sale without deceiving a seller or a buyer, fine. That's up to them. They could pay you legally a consulting fee as an advisor. Okay? But what really needs to happen is, hey, you want to list a home? You want to sell a home? Great. You have your license. Go out legally. Compete. Do business. Do your own thing within these five rules. Don't lie to somebody. Don't cheat somebody. Don't steer a deal. Present all your offers and be a good human being. Those should be the five rules. It shouldn't be anything you else know, more than that.
1: All this bullshit comes from. Code of, of ethics. Com,
0: com. They're ignoring all the code of ethics that should be codes.
1: <laughs> the wholesaling thing became popular in the last couple of years because of the no one has money. No. accelerating market. And no one has money. And, you know, just like back in the day when, you know, that flipping property, I think flipping property should become illegal, honestly, because here you are. Yes and no. All this stuff is great during an accelerating market, but all it's going to take is a shifting market. I keep talking about this. That takes this. two months down. That's it. Yeah. And we're already there. People, well, not according to some people, yeah, yeah. but I still think we're going to see. This is my opinion. And I'm watching the buyers of today and their attitudes and how they are. The, yo- arrogant. the, the younger buyers, number one, can't turn on a stove. Number two, they're buying a lifestyle. They they want to be able to walk. They don't even want to buy a car. Turnkey. They, they they just wanna they just wanna be able to Uber everywhere, walk downstairs, get their coffee, kinda like where we were yeah, today. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. They're not they don't want to buy homes. You're right. You know? I, I think what we're gonna see is a softening of real estate middle of second quarter, third quarter, next year. Before the election. We're going to see a bump. Well, number one, we're in an election year and everybody's so bent about this whole election bullshit. I'm watching you know, the Fed and what they're doing with the monetary policy. I don't think we're ever, ever, ever going to see interest rates above five, ever again. Because we've had such artificially suppressed rates in the last 10 years that even if you bump at a point, you go to four and a half percent, people start crying.
0: Well, you look at that fourth quarter of last year, Yeah, rates went to- Five percent. Everything stopped. Every, literally, not, there was zero business for that, that month went of November. Yeah. Everybody
1: stopped. Correct. So and, now, the, and everyone panicked. The world panicked. The world. Panicked. The world, the panicked. world yeah. panicked. I think we're close to like zero overnight lending rates right now. Yes, yeah, ridiculous. To the point where our monetary policy is going to cause a recession.
0: So again, here's what people aren't understanding what I'm saying. They're all saying, "Oh, you're doomsday." I'm like, "I'm not doomsday." I'm like, "Look here. For example, in 2007, for example, right? Let's say a house was worth." a million dollars at 7%. Rates drop down to 5%. That million dollar house goes to 500,000. Let's just say the market got clipped 50%, 40% in some areas in 08, 09, 10, okay? Now today, that house that was a million dollars is back to being worth a million dollars, but rates are at 3.5%. So And the market's stalling right here, in my opinion. We're kind of at like a stalled top right now for whatever reason, call it whatever you want. Now, if we know that, at 7%, that house is worth a million. Technically, this valued asset has room to go up if someone once valued it at a million dollars at 7% and rates not being at 3.5%. So in a perfect world, if rates dropped in half from 7 to 35 and this million-dollar property right was a million back then, technically should be worth 2 million in a perfect world. Do you understand where I'm coming from? Like a million at 7%, call it 7,000. 2 million at 3.5%, 7,000. The market could technically run higher, but it doesn't mean the individual consumer who owns that home that works a blue-collar job or works a salary where they're not getting a raise, inflation, cost of living is at an all-time high. That's what's going to cause the problems in the real estate market where Joe, Dick, Harry, Salary, and their families, right, can't afford not to be able to refinance again because rates can't really go much lower. They keep racking up the personal loans, the credit card debts, the colleges, the gas, the tolls, the cars. Everyone's Mm -hmm. buying new cars again because car dealerships are giving deals away not 700 a month, now 600 a month. And consumers are the ones that are getting screwed. Now look, the top... 5% of Americans are the only ones that benefited over the last 10 years. The other 95% of Americans are still status quo or still trying to get out.
1: And you touched on a point here because, you know, they're they're saying we've been in the country's longest economic recovery. Longest bull run in the history of America. Right. I agree with that. But what I'm seeing and the reason why I got out of the creative industry, like five years ago, I basically retired from the creative world. And I opened up my office because I saw the way it was going. And yes, there's jobs out there. Yes, more people are working, but wages have kind of been flat and declining. Just Big because time. you Big create time. more jobs at Walmart, right. you know, a at job minimum, at minimum wage, a job I used to get paid you know two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year for, now somebody's doing for thirty thousand dollars a year, forty thousand right out right of college, year. right out of college with student debt, making forty grand a year, and that's a whole other subject. I really do think that you know, I think that our schools, number one, are teaching. The wrong thing, and they have been for sixty years, which we all know, right? But I say this, and people look at me like I have three heads. And I said, "Listen, remember who created the school curriculum back in the early part of the twentieth century? It was people, captains of industry, who helped the government create the curriculum to make the worker bees when they got out of school to run the factory And we're not in that industry anymore, but we're still telling kids go to college, get a good job. What about history?" Go to college, get a good job. Yeah. I don't know anyone that has a job anymore that they're going to be at for 30 plus years. Very rare, unless maybe, and I've been police
0: officers these days.
1: No. And that's, they're not even there at 30, 30 years. But I think they're, they're not teaching the curriculum in school, number one has to change. I was
0: talking to a friend last night, one of my attorneys, and she said to me, yeah, we were talking about IRS and debt and own, this and that, whatever, right? You can still get a loan if you have a tax. If you owe the IRS money, you can still get a loan as long as you're on a payment plan and you're current. We were working out numbers. Mm-hmm. She's like, yeah, I owed the IRS $71,000, X, Y, and Z. Right. I pay my, ma- pay my payment every time, every month. My balance is now $102,000. i have paid the payment on time because they're giving her an eight, the, the, when you have IRS tax that the rate that they put the loan out at is 8.25%. Isn't that great? So they're borrowing at zero because it's phantom money. They're saying you owe taxes. So they're taking debt that you owe, and they're putting it at 8.25%. Mm-hmm. She makes the minimum payment every month, which is $200 a month. So it's like negative amortization with the mortgages. So yep. the federal government that knocked the banking industry on negative amortizing loans that caused the collapse is doing the same exact thing to people individually.
1: Well, it's interesting because imagine that I look back at when I bought property when I bought property back in the late 90s it was for cash flow. And I it was very simple. Uh if your rent income exceeds your taxes, mortgage and insurance, you got cash flow. Then I say it's a good investment, cash flow. Now what I'm noticing is especially in Jersey in North Jersey where I am, the real estate taxes have become so out of control. Yeah, they're egregious. That some of them the taxes, your monthly tax bill is higher than the damn mortgage. That's the problem now. So we, I'm suffering, like in my town, we have lack of inventory. And sure. I look at my numbers every day. I know right now, right off the bat, that the medium-priced home in Nutley is like four twenty 60 days, the days on market. Average tax bill is about 10000 12000 And I have 122 homes on the market. I know what's in Nutley. I know what's going on. Now,
0: of those 122 homes, how many would you say are overpriced?
1: Realistically, thirty percent—that's it. I would say about thirty percent over overpriced. So you're saying seventy percent are f- priced pretty accurately, and they're still right. not moving. But the only well, the reason they're they're moving, but the problem is the tax rate. Eight thousand, so nine thousand. So in Nutley, if you want to buy a home, and I'm not discouraging anybody, everybody should buy a home in Nutley. Number <laughs> one, the average home is about four hundred thousand dollars. For four hundred thousand dollars, you get. A three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath, side hall colonial that was probably built in 1928. And a backyard? And you get a little backyard. Parking? The average lot is about 100 by 50. Okay. That's the average yeah, lot. Right. Parking is at a premium. We have three square miles, 12,000 households.
0: 12,000 yeah. households? Wow.
1: It's a big lot number. of homes yeah, in a, a little area. Yeah. Well, they're adding like condos the and so on. Yep. It's very dense. Yep. We're basically a suburb of New York City. Yep. 90% of my clientele comes from New York City and the outer boroughs. Mm-hmm. And I would say 95% find me on social. That's how people connect with of me. Course. And that's what I use to leverage my business, going back to that. Why not? You're a local market expert. Right. That was the other thing. When I when I first opened my office, I was spending marketing dollars in areas I was working. Like I was working up in Wyckoff, Franklin Lakes, West Milford. Spread too thin. I was spread too thin. So I decided to like bring my budget down and go, Boom. You know, tip of the spear, which is Hyper nutly hyperlocal. Hyper local. And that's what I preach all the time. Hyperlocal marketing. Everything I do, I I do very little print. I do one billboard. The billboard that's there is when you're leaving and coming yep. into town and that's yep. it.
0: I only did the Bronx. I think I told you this from there started through 2013. I only had an office in the Bronx and I only street ground and pounded the Bronx. Now, obviously, I closed the deal for somebody from a cousin or attorney referral in Brooklyn or Queens or Manhattan or wherever else. I always went everywhere, right? But the Bronx is where my hub was because I'm like... I think on average at the time, there were anywhere from 400 to 1,400 deals per month. That's a big number, but wow. depending on the time frame and what was going on. So like on the low end, 400 deals a month in the Bronx alone. On the high end, 1,400 at the time. So I'm like, well, if there's 400 deals here. I got to be able to get 10 of them. Yeah, 20 not? of them why not 15 of them right yeah, so not? that's what I focused on I wasn't like running around all over the place like, I'm see like, I would have been scared doing? shit to
1: go into the Bronx
0: so it's funny a lot of people like yourself still have this like Bronx is burning mentality from
1: yeah Fort Apache the Bronx right, right, <laughs> right.
0: but people still think that and that's what right. stunted the growth for so long before the numbers are like wow if Brooklyn sell- and here's what I talked about my friend the other day if Brooklyn's selling for 1 million for this house I can get this house for 600,000 in the Bronx great I'm getting it at a discount well, well, you're not because <laughs> the Bronx is in Brooklyn, right? right? And the rents aren't what you're getting in Brooklyn. Right, There's right, a reason right, why, right, you know. Right, right, it's, right, this right. is a brownstone. This right. is a three-family, you know, framed attached house. You know, like it's a whole a three-family in Brooklyn. I, I don't, I don't know same much three about three the
1: Bronx, but recently I learned about the Riverda- Riverdale section
0: of the Riverdale, Bronx. So I call Riverdale Manhattan, if you make if that makes sense, right? So okay. like Riverdale is an extension of Manhattan. It's in the Bronx. It's Bronx, a wealthy affluent area, though very wealthy, very Jewish, very right. very. Old money? Secluded, a lot of okay. old money. Okay. Yes, to answer your question, yes. But Riverdale is the Bronx. Why do they call it Riverdale? Because they don't
1: want to be associated with the Bronx. Got like, See what I'm like, am like, like Oh, I'm from Riverdale. It, yeah. I'm like, no, oh,
0: you're from the Bronx.
1: Like, we, we had that's that, Where you
0: want to slice this. You're from the Bronx. We, we you know? had
1: that same in, in, uh, in Jersey over there. We had a town called Patterson. We oh. still have it, but there was a place called West Patterson. Yep. So West Patterson said, we don't want to be associated with Patterson. We, we're going to call ourselves Woodland Park. Right. So now they're woodland Park, right you know that's the interesting. we we got, a, uh, yeah, we, got a couple,
0: we got a couple minutes to close out, but so I mean, look at the end of the day, it really boils down to I believe that I don't care what industry you're in, you need to pay or compensate or do something with or for somebody that has knowledge, whether it's your manager in your office, like they deserve to get paid. if you're expecting somebody to teach you the business, mm-hmm. they're due to be compensated, and you know. I think unfortunately losers in the industry, people have never done, never really made real money. When I say real money, I'm not talking about $100,000 a year. I'm talking about a quarter million dollars a year or more right. in your selective industry. Mm-hmm. Like if you're looking for a mentor, this isn't free. This is business, right? So. Why I believe and what I'm doing is the whole coaching and advising is because people don't want their boss or their manager or their whoever, Mm -hmm. CEO, to earn off of them for whatever reason. It's stupid, and it's probably because they don't respect them or they don't respect themselves. Mm -hmm. Like You need to hire a professional that's done what you're trying to do. Like If I want to be in the NFL and I want to be a quarterback, I'm going to Drew Brees, I'm going to Peyton Manning, I'm going to Tom Brady, I'm going to Brett Favre, Aaron Rodgers, I'm going to the guys that have done it, Mm -hmm. that have won. But in real estate, it's like, no, I don't want to be with Matt. I'm not paying, I'm not giving Matt 30% of my commission. Meanwhile, you have nothing. It's like, well, there's office, there's overhead, and there's value. Yeah. So I price my coaching and advisory numbers right. so high, so I weed the bullshit out. Now, I can tell you for a fact, 90% of the people I coach, I don't actually charge them anything. Funny you said that. I don't charge them anything. You know why? I'm like, I know you don't have it, but one day, you're going to have it. You know what? Here, give me two deals. Here's how you can put money in my pocket. If you get me one or two deals— I'll throw in 10 coaching sessions for free for you. But this isn't a, hey, let me pick your brain. Hey, can you do this pro bono for free? You're making out like a bandit. You're taking my 12 years of experience. I'm getting nothing from it. You're getting the proper advice and you're giving your income somewhere else.
1: I have, I have three pillars that I kind of work on and how I, I base my business and my foundation. One, I told you on the way in here was, you know, circle of influence, circle of concern. If you focus on the circle of influence, your influence will expand. If you focus on your circle of concern, which is the bullshit, like, uh, you know, I'm concerned about who's sleeping with who, who is doing that. Drama. Drama. That expands. Okay. So I learned that everybody, if you're a realtor, mortgage, I don't care who you are, you have to understand the marketing funnel and top of the funnel marketing. You've heard of the marketing mm-hmm. funnel before yep. and how it works. Yep. yep. Right. Yep. That That's another pillar that I think is very important. And the last but not least is what they call the compound effect. Doing small things every day that add, add up to big results. Agents come to me all the time. And they're like, what do I do? How do I get business? What do I do? When I get business. Like I came up with this thing, 33030, which was basically three platforms, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. All right. 30 second video for 30 days. Do it 30 days straight, nonstop. And tell me if you don't gain one or two pieces of new business from that, you're doing something wrong. Interesting. But a majority of people will, will, and it's very simple. Grab your phone. Hey, this is Matt DeFede from Realty Executives. You know, today, this is what's going on in the market. Bah, bah, bah. Put on the platform. Do that for 30 days. And I guarantee you, you have I, to get something out of I it. don't care what industry, if it's banking, if it's insurance, Whatever. if it's mortgage, yeah. if you do it for 30 days, it's very simple. Again, compound effect. Consistency. Those three pillars are what I go by every day. And when I learn that circle of influence, my business got that much better. Hmm. Because now I'm focusing on what I do. I don't care about what Joe does or this guy does or who's sleeping with who or who's who's going out for drinks, who's doing this. I'm focusing on my business. I'm here. I got on a train to get here because this was important to me for my business. Now, maybe two people can watch us here. That's two more people that know about me.
0: So that's how I see it. So, as we close up the show, we always make somebody, the guest, give a deposit that to all the listeners, viewers. So, what's one thing you want to leave everybody that's listening today or that's going to be listening to this episode with in order to implement
1: in 2020? Focus on your business and yourself. That's it. Clean and simple. Clean and simple. Focus on your business and yourself. Be consistent. You know, if you eat consistently good every day, you're going to have better health. If you work out every day consistently, you're going to be in better shape. If you focus on your business every day consistently, you're going to have a better business. So I hope you guys all listen to it. Thank you for tuning in. Deposit that shit. And deposit that. (laughs)